Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. When I was growing up, my friends and I always knew that someone was watching, in a good way. There were people keeping their eye on the neighborhood to make sure we were staying safe and staying out of trouble. If one of more of us kids got some bad ideas, it was not uncommon for an adult to intervene and put us on the correct path. That's what the community was like, people looking out for each other. This past Monday night, there was a ceremony at Elizabeth Park honoring five black women who did exactly that for North Nashville. Later this hour, we'll visit with their descendants to get a better sense of what they meant to the community. But first, it's time for At Us. Yes, every Thursday, we're taking time to read the comments so you don't have to. I'm encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nat- Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at our past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. Glad to be back in the studio. Good to have you back. So, what have our listeners been talking about this week? So, after Friday's show, we got a list. We got an email, excuse me, from listener um, Ida in Kingston Springs, asking us to do a fact check on how much money the Iroquois Steeplechase has donated to Vanderbilt's Children's Hospital over the years. So. Hmm. So I did a little searching, and according to Vanderbilt Medical Center, the steeplechase has donated around $11 million since 1981. So that's about a span of 40 years. Wow. Uh, The steeplechase hasn't said how much money was raised from last week's event, but in 2021, the Children's Hospital received $115,000. So. Um, Vanderbilt also put out an impact statement in 2019 saying that those donations have aided with their pediatric cancer initiative. You know, I love it when we get to answer listener questions. So y'all keep them coming, please. Mm -hmm. What else have listeners said? So I don't know if you remember, but on Monday we had a show about sexism in country music. Yes, I love that episode. Same. It was really great. Um, but during that show, uh, the Taurus Music Group tweeted at us saying, great conversation right now with Marissa Armas on This Is Nashville. I feel like Nashville doesn't know what to do with brown, Mexican, and Asian artists. We don't always get the same opportunities. So we focus on getting the music right and hoping for the best. And that really, really sounded similar to what we heard from our guest, Leah Turner, Um, who, you know, she brought up that she's Mexican-American and she really spoke about how the record label and the industry try to play down that heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, this came up in our previous episode on the changing face of country music with the Black Opry and Asian country artists. Yeah, I I really love that these points are being made because it's just enlightening people to things that they may not have considered when Mm -hmm. they think about country music. Yeah. Um, So after Thursday, or, excuse me, sorry, after Tuesday's show on the Freedom Riders, I found out that you, Khalil, have a personal connection to the um, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Yes, I do. My my mother texted me after the show about it. She listens to every episode. And uh, SNCC was one of the groups that participated in the Freedom Rides and the sit-ins in the 60s. My mom was actually a member in college, but her activism started when she was much, much younger. When I was about 12, 
I went to visit my grandmother in Gastonia, North Carolina. And a friend and I went to town. We decided to go to this luncheonette, and I sat at the counter. And my friend didn't, and she got very nervous and upset. And they told me that they didn't serve nicks. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm not one. And I was going to sit there. But my friend who lived there and had gone with me started crying and she got so upset. And so I left. I left. I didn't want her to be that upset. But by the time we got to the to the bus stop, I was like, no, 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 I'm just not going to let them treat me like this. So when I got on the bus, I sat in the front. And then the bus driver told me, uh, you can't sit here. You have to sit in the back. And I refused. And then they called the cops. And the cops tried to get me off. And I refused. At that point, everybody got off the bus. And I was the only one on there. And so the bus driver drove me to my grandmother's door. And my grandmother was standing out there waiting for me because somebody had called her. And she was very upset when I got off the bus. Thanks to you, Mommy, my mother, Olufemi Ekulona. Um, I actually heard that story for the first time in 2020 when I was in New Mexico and we started covering uh, events on race relations and racism after George Floyd's murder. And um, it was really interesting because during that time I got to really find out a lot of stories about my parents. If we ever do a story about uh, teenagers cutting class in high school to hang out in the East Village in the late 50s, early 60s, my mother's going to be great for that. <laughs> Well, I really love hearing your mother's voice on the air. And um, I think it's actually amazing that she was able to, you know, challenge segregation at such a young age. And I can't I can't really imagine that that was very easy for her. I know it wasn't. And uh, she definitely instilled that in all of her children. OK, moving to a lighter topic. We have a request for our listeners. Yes. <clears throat> Producer Tasha AF Lemley is putting together a show about bucket lists. So we're asking our listeners to tell us what is on their bucket list or, you know, if they scratched off anything interesting on their bucket list. Uh, if you have a story to tell, you can leave us a voice message at thisisnashville.org. So, Khalil, what's on your bucket list? Okay, bucket list. I have two things on my bucket list. One is totally untenable. I've always wanted to be a part of some sort of Ocean's Eleven type bank heist, <laughs> but that's out of the picture. So the one that I'm hoping for is I want to see the Earth from the view from space. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, so I have to get with Bezos or one of these guys. <laughs> Well, you know, with how things are going, there is a potential for that to actually happen. Yes. What about you? Well, I really, really want to take my mom to Machu Picchu, but I think that counts as her bucket list, not exactly mine. So okay. I, I need to do a little more, more thinking about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Of course, and our listeners know where to find me. Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with the artist that spearheaded a mosaic project that honors five matriarchs of North Nashville. Do you have stories about the people who kept your neighborhood connected? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Elizabeth Park sits on a triangle-shaped piece of land between Jane Street, Author Avenue, and 11th Avenue North. It's not a big park, and the senior center there is also pretty small, but it holds a lot of history. And on Monday night, there was a ceremony to celebrate some of that history with art. Our producer, Steve Harouche, was there. It's a beautifully warm, breezy night in North Nashville, the golden hour. A crowd is gathered for the dedication of five wood mosaics, each depicting a woman who was a pillar of this historically black neighborhood. Artist Simone Boyd has carefully installed the mosaics over concrete slabs that were once windows on the side of the Elizabeth Park Senior Center. Simone calls on Clemmy Greenlee, founder of Nashville Peacemakers, to open the ceremony. Miss Clemmy had five young men show up on her porch this morning because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And Miss Clemmy embodied the love, care, and courage that these five women embody. So y'all welcome Miss Clemmy! But uh, let me just say I'm honored. I am so honored when she called me and told me what this was because of what I do, how I take in everybody from stray animals to stray people. And never knew where that came from, but I remember it was always a Miss Margaret, a Hattie May, a Mary May, a Hayden May. It was always, get over here, get your buddy in here, get, get some of these cookies, get this cake. And I used to always say, wait today, y'all, where are they at? Where are they at? What? Where is their stories? Their stories have raised me. Their stories are still out here. And we got to keep this right here going. So when it was told who was uh, being honored, man, I told them my mama, we never had a house to ourselves. Mama, who is deep? <laughs> mama, can I just sleep in the bed one time by myself? Mama, they bring in the dog with them. <laughs> So that is how y'all was raised. That is the core of our ancestors. And this is what we need to get back out here. Simone started this project with a single mosaic, a portrait of civil rights leader Curly Magruder, made from hundreds of small wood squares. As she started asking around the neighborhood to find people to support the project, she found another hero of the movement. Mr. Kwame Lillard, and I'm going to try not to cry about this, but... In 2018, when he found out that we were honoring Ms. Magruder, Ms. Magruder's legacy is not very visible. Not many people know about her. So when I called Mr. Lillard to ask him to tell me stories, what do you know about her? He's like, what are you doing? Come, come to my office. Come to my office. He wrote a check for $300 to support this, to support this mosaic. Didn't ask any questions. Kwame Lillard passed away in 2020 so he never got to see the completed project. But as of today, Curly Magruder's mosaic is no longer alone. Miss Nora Ransom. Next, we have Miss Mary Louise Watson. Miss Juno Frankie Pierce. May For some of the people gathered, these women aren't just community icons, but mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. It's an especially significant day for the descendants of Mama Body, 
who was famous for handing out popsicles to neighborhood kids in the summer. Today, the day of her ceremony, would have been her 101st birthday. After telling a little bit of each woman's story, Simone reflects on the difficult times they lived through and how much they overcame. And with the horrific racist shooting in Buffalo on everyone's minds, how the struggle continues. I want to close by saying how these women and their faith in God sustained them. Um, my body, she went to Cleveland, Cleveland Street. Miss Mary and Miss <laughs> Ransom were both senior ushers, I believe, senior ushers at 14th Avenue Baptist. Their faith in God sustained them during trials of terror. You know, y'all, as I woke up this morning, I was just crying because I was like, how, how do we move forward? But I think they show us the way. Yes. We care for each other. We make popsicles if we can. <laughs> we give a little. We give a little more to people who have a little less. We do the simple things, and that's what's going to compound and turn this thing around for us, y'all. These matriarchs of the neighborhood have been m memorialized thanks to the Art Against Violence Project. My first guest initiated the project. I'd like to welcome artist M. Simone Boyd to This Is Nashville. Simone, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Khalil. What inspired you to begin the Art Against Violence Project? Tell me. Really, my neighbors. Uh, I have to say that while I got to guide and lead the project, it definitely wasn't me alone. Um, many hearts and hands made this possible. But um, after a tragedy in our own neighborhood and actually MLK weekend, we as neighbors were figuring out how can we respond and we had a couple community meetings and uh, one of the descendants who will be a guest later came to that community meeting and uh, Metro Public Health was there and Metro schools were there. And we were just trying to figure out how do we respond? How do we do something? And the idea came for youth engagement and youth employment. And it grew from there. What else did you all do to get it off the ground? Uh, we raised money. We talked to uh, neighborhood people. Uh, we had to get permits and permissions from Metro Parks and Metro Arts and um, local people. We talked to a lot of people about what they what they what they were hoping and how they respond. And we partnered with a local nonprofit that um, does woodworking apprenticeships, Mapleville, right in our neighborhood, just a few blocks over from Elizabeth Park. They do woodworking mentorships with young men in the neighborhood, restorative justice. It's a restorative justice program. And they, our partnership with the neighbors and with Mapleville, they actually created the mosaics. So I, I can imagine, you know, this type of undertaking is not really an easy lift. Um, but I'm interested, when you were talking to the neighbors and the people in the community about this idea, what were their emotions? What were they expressing to you? Uh, I think a sense of despair. The week of that tragedy in 2018, um, we talked to so many, even my next door neighbor, we talked to so many people who were just at a loss, like just couldn't sleep well, like how could this happen? And I think that sense of confusion and loss and, um, but a sense of hope at being able to do something and not being able to be empathetic. So I think it was despair moving towards hope, mm -hmm. if I had to describe it. Mm -hmm. 
Now, as you all are developing this and you're kind of figuring it out, tell me, what were your goals? To connect, to connect each other, um, Mm -hmm. to really have a sense of we're not alone and to foster belonging. We had a youth, the youth violence strategist from Metro Health Department, when he came and talked to us, he said, you know, what you need to be focusing on is fostering belonging for you, because as your neighborhood changes, there's a sense of being uprooted and youth need to know that they belong. So how you're connecting with youth, that's really going to determine where the future of our youth and our neighborhood go. And so people being able to connect with youth in this way um, felt like a, a good step forward. The first mosaic was of civil rights leader Curly Magruder. Tell me, why did you all choose her? good question. So um, (laughs) there was a lot of discussion about who would be featured. And we really wanted to feature someone who loved youth. Um, Because again, we were thinking about youth and how can we support youth. And um, Curly loved, loved youth. You know, she was going back to the intro when you're talking about the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. Um, Curly bailed people out of jail. Um, She, especially students, like she loved, she was kind of a mama bear. Um, and she walked, she had a direct connection to this neighborhood. People knew her and remembered her. And so we wanted to uplift and ignite public memory uh, for someone whose, whose story I felt, we felt, was kind of being hidden. Now, Curly's grandson, Jeff Magruder, was at the ceremony on Monday. And full disclosure, Jeff serves on WPLN's board of directors. He's also a frat brother of mine. He wasn't able to join us today, but we caught up with him yesterday. Now, Jeff lived at his grandparents' house for a while when he was a kid, and his grandmother definitely made an impression. Let's listen. The room that I stayed in, she had all of her political swag and falling out of the closets from fans to handbills to anything that she was promoting politically in the area. And so that was really my first memories of her and understanding this is who she was. You know, she had a room full of this material, and, and she was a tall woman. And, and and just in her dealings with me, um, she never spanked me or never yelled at me, but just, just the authority in which she spoke, uh, respect was just given from, from day one. There's a picture at the Magruder Center of her, of her with a beret, a red beret on, and she's a tall woman in a, in a, in a jean outfit, um, tall, and she has her megaphone, and the look on her face as she gets folks behind her, she's marched. This is just the MLK walk that she would lead every year, just as a reminder of where we came from to get some of my rights. And so the symbolism I have of, the, of her standing so tall and just like this, this menacing look, like I'm, I want to kick some ass today <laughs> and we're going to do it, is, is that that's the me- memory that I have of her. And, and now, like I'm a fiercely competitive person and so I can look to that when I'm in a spirit where I've got to kick some ass so (laughs) that reminds me of my grandmother Simone I understand that Jeff has kind of followed in his grandmother's footsteps in other ways as well is that right yes I loved I've never heard that story but I loved hearing that story so Miss Magruder um her story is kind of sad because a little bit sad because she was so vocal about not only voting rights and what we needed as a people, a black people, but she was also demanding economic justice. And it cost her a lot personally. Um, I'm told that she ended up being kicked out of the NAACP, 
double ACP and that her husband divorced her. And she died, you know, almost with very little. And Mr. Lillard, Mr. Kwame Lillard actually helped pay her utility bill before her death. But what's so beautiful about the story is that Jeff Magruder, who we just heard, he left his job as a VP at Pinnacle Bank and came back to the neighborhood. And he's helping modernize operations at Citizens Bank, which is the oldest oldest continually operating African-American bank in the country mm-hmm. right here on Jefferson Street. And he's helping to build black wealth by being in banking. And so it's like her legacy is is continuing. It lives on. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Lake Alona. We're talking with artist Simone Boyd, who headed the effort to hang mosaics at the Elizabeth Park Senior Center, honoring the legacy of five North Nashville women. Now, I'd like to welcome a few of their descendants. Barbara Watson and Lithia Carter are daughters of Mary Louise Watson. Welcome to both of you to This is Nashville. Thanks, Kalia. Thank you. So tell me about your mom, Mary Louise. She was quiet spoken, tall, very determined. Um, and she wouldn't call herself a fierce leader. She would say she was doing what she needed to do for her family. My mother was not educated past grade eight, but she wanted more for her her children, her five children. So she always talked about, you need to do more. Um, My mother and my father sacrificed money putting it aside, to buy a book, um, a whole set of the uh, World Book Encyclopedia. We were the only one in our neighborhood that had a full set, brand new set. Mm -hmm. My sister and I were talking just this morning how we remember different kids in the neighborhood that would come to our house to do their homework because they had, we had the World Book Encyclopedia. Okay. So that's, that's the kind of family we grew up in. True. Um, we didn't go to the library, you know. Yeah. But our library was at the house. What you needed, our resources, at the house. And uh, summer school uh, <laughs> was at the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, she was, uh, she was, uh, she was, all, I always tell people, well, she was my first hero, uh, shero, or whatever you want to call them, because she was, she was not relentless in letting anybody get to her or under her skin. When she decided she was going to do something, her and my father would talk it over, and they would go forth. And I, I have the faith today because oh, I mother. saw my mother hmm. move in such a way through oppositions and everything by faith. She never grumbled. She never complained. She just went by faith. She'd sing her little faith song, and we're out the door. I understand that. So it's like you both got to see your mother move move mountains, so it's no question that you two think that you and understand and believe that you can fly. Yes. I love that. Now, I understand that she was an initiator of desegregating schools back in the 50s. She helped. And that so that meant that you two were some of the first students to integrate schools here in Nashville. I was. My sister was not. She went to the all-black school. 
I went to the uh, all-white school. What was that like, Barbara? It was hell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be. I'm not going to put it any other way. But uh, my first six years um, were calm to me because I never got in a fight, never had any opposition with any students or anything, but our first year trying to get in there, I mean, getting in there, then that, that was hell because they they threatened to, to kidnap me, they threatened to kill me. And back during that time, they were still hanging people and kidnapping, was, killing people. It was awful. How old were you? I was six years old. She was six. I was eight. What was that like in the household? What were your, what would your parents tell you about that time? Well, my father was a, a real protector of his family. He was a family man. Um, my father, Hugh Willie Watson Sr., and my mother talked it over as to how they would approach this. Um, my mom and my father went to the, they had meetings for the community and the families that were involved uh, with starting uh, the desegregation of schools. And it was determined my father would continue to work because he was the breadwinner. My mother was a homemaker. Um, and after the my sister was registered to school, we started getting threats. Back then, we didn't have private phones um, mm-hmm. lines. It was a party line is what they called it. So you could pick up the phone and hear someone else speaking and vice versa. And so the phone would ring, and we started hearing all of these negative um all kind of things. Remarks. Wow. They were terrible. So much so that my father said, told my mother to stop answering the phone. And if he was home from work, he would answer the phone. That's how bad it was. So this work that your mother was was doing made your household a target. You're, you're hearing this on the party line. You know, one night that became really abundantly clear. Lethia, can you tell me about that night? Well, you know... um, my mom would make all of it. She was making all these sandwiches and coffee, and they would put us to bed early. And I was always inquisitive, so I thought, well, they had the living room door closed, but I kept hearing a knock on the door. So I went to the door of the living room and opened it to peep in to see what was going on. And I saw all these men of the neighborhood, as well from... Uh, the NWACP, CORE, and SNCC, they were rotating, staying in our home at night with shotguns visibly to protect our families. That's how many threats that we had gotten. Um, one day we were out in, out in the yard playing, and there was this car, and I, I used to remember the color of the car, but I remember the model, 1956 Chevrolet. Okay. And it was full of, um, I'll say, college white men. They were screaming all kinds of appetites to us. Um, Don't bring that in back to school. We're going to kill that in. Uh, Go back to Africa. We heard all of that. So we were running back toward the house, and they threw these bottles out of the car, and the whole backyard exploded in fire. Now, I'm eight. My sister's six. 
we're running back to the house screaming. And before the fire department got there, neighbors came from everywhere and they, they beat the fire out. Of course, the guys in the car, they took off back down the alley. And I can't remember to this day whether or not my father was home during. Do you remember, Barbara? I don't if remember. my father was, she was so young. Um, but that will forever be ingrained in my mind because I'd never been exposed to anything like that. We were always well protected uh, mm-hmm. within my between my mother and my father. Um, but I saw how much people hated us because of the skin of our of the color of our skin. I mean, eight years old, six years old. Yeah, that is that an incredibly scary moment to live through. I wonder. Did that slow your mother down at all? Uh-uh. Nope. nope. <laughs> Nor my father. Nope. They mm. were determined, we're going to go forward with this. What did they do next? Right. Well, well, um, like she said, the men would come at our, to our home at night. And after that, they started having uh, more meetings. Mm-hmm. I do. We were drug from church to church <laughs> yeah. up at Fisk and... And different places, and I do be remember being at Fisk, mm. and I do remember being at First Baptist Capitol, Capitol Hill, Hill, right? Uh, and different churches, you know, mm-hmm. that were involved in the movement or what they call the movement. And so um, they were determined that Barbara's gonna go to school. So, um, like I said, my mother would always get up in the morning, fix breakfast, do what she had to do. And she would get me and my sister together and stuff. And a lot of times we had to have, I had to have police protection. Right. So uh, sometimes we rode in a police car to school. Mm. And if um, they weren't available at the time and they were covering another area, you know, then uh, Richard Smith's funeral home would volunteer to come by and get me to take us to school. A lot of times, um, my mother would get, seemed like at the last minute, the police would let her know that we got a call this morning. We don't, we don't recommend that you walk her to school today. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have an escort. Okay. So that's the way we went. Wow. Yeah. Simone Boyd is still with us. Simone, what has it meant to you learning about these women's stories and how they've impacted the community? Uh, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Um, I I finally got to talk to to Miss Carter last week, and I just mm-hmm. cried in our first conversation. She did. So mm-hmm. she did. Very grateful for them. Very grateful. Grateful to have you with us. Simone Boyd is the artist behind the Art Against Violence Project that was just dedicated at at Elizabeth Park in North Nashville. Simone, thank you so much for being with us today. We're taking a quick break. When we come back, we'll meet a few more descendants and talk about how their North Nashville neighborhood has changed over the years. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. 
Earlier this week, five North Nashville women were honored for their pivotal role they played for their community with mosaic portraits at Elizabeth Park. We've been talking this hour with some of their descendants, and I'd like to introduce a few more. Reverend Marguerite Smithson is the daughter of Willie May Body, who's also known as Mama Body. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So Mama Body, with a nickname like that, I can have an idea, but <laughs> what was she known for in the neighborhood? Um, really for caring and loving all of the children. Uh, her thing was love the kids, you raise them right. And she was a praying woman, so she prayed for not only her kids, but the other kids in the neighborhood. Uh, I told Simone, my mother, along with the neighbors, uh, they were like neighborhood watch before there was a neighborhood watch. Okay. Because if you were in the neighborhood, everybody watched out for you. Mm -hmm. uh, they also know that even though Mama Body was short in statue, she swore she was 5'1". She did good to be 5 feet. <laughs> but uh, they knew that she had their backs. Mm -hmm. And even though you could call the police or whatever. Her thing was she'd yell at somebody and her voice was so direct, uh, you knew not to cross her. Sure. <laughs> so most people didn't. But the children, she loved the children, in, not only in that neighborhood, people's children's children. She just she just loved them. Was she, was she a good cook, I imagine? Oh, don't <laughs> talk about the cooking. Uh -oh. Yeah, because she was the one. Like anybody knew Mama Body, they could go by her house and get a meal. I mean, Wednesday come, you have somebody, Mama Body, do you have any greens or macaroni and cheese left over from Sunday? Uh, <laughs> Sunday was always, it's almost like a banquet because she always get up. I don't know how she did it, but she prepared a full meal before going to church. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about just some little snack. We're talking about mm -hmm. greens, yeah. ribs, uh, macaroni and cheese, <laughs> sweet potatoes. Wow. She did it all. And in addition to baking, she you might have a pound cake or just... Uh, pie, but that was it. But they knew when we came on Sundays, people, other people come and you think, am I going to get to eat my own <laughs> mama's food? Mm -hmm. Because she was feeding everybody else. I also heard something about popsicles. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the summer, uh -huh. she, um, mother was very strict on us too. We couldn't go but certain people's yards and we couldn't go farther than she could see you. Okay, And so... <laughs> When it was hot, we didn't have to worry about trying to go to the store for popsicles because she made what, what we call um, something like cool pops. You just freeze up the Kool-Aid mm -hmm. and uh, make it like a popsicle <laughs> or, or put it in a paper cup, and that's what you had. And she, not only for her kids, but for all the kids in the, in the neighborhood. She and they care. loved her for that. She took care of everybody. She mm -hmm. took care of everybody. Uh, I know... Um, a lot of times I look at people nowadays with their smaller kids. Mother would keep kids. Whether you could afford to give her something or not, she babysit those kids. Mm. And if my mama babysitted your your toddler, uh, within a week or so of being with her, they were already potty trained because she said she wouldn't be involved with changing diapers. Oh, wow. But if she got them as babies, which was really weird, she had what she called a lap pot. She would feed the kids sitting up on the laptop in her lap so they felt the love. They felt that they could be, you know, confident that she's not going to drop them. Mm -hmm. Once she did that, then they graduated to the little chair that sat on the floor. Then she got them comfortable with that. And 
Next thing you know, they were going to the bathroom by themselves. Look at that. Oh, yeah. She could she could do it. She could do it. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia Haddock is also with us. She's the granddaughter of Nora Evelyn Ranson. Hi, Alicia. Alicia, are you with us? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. How are you doing? Okay. I'm okay. How are you, Khalil? Doing well. Doing well. It's such a pleasure to have you with us on the show. So... Tell me, what do you remember about your grandmother? Oh, my goodness. I remember so much. I, I just remember her um, uh, her loving hand on all of her grandchildren. I, I was saying to my cousins, you know, I think we've all, at, le- at least the older uh, grandchildren, probably have lived with my grandmother at some point in our lives just because um, her home was um, so welcoming and we wanted to be there. Um, and, you know, another fond memory that had such an impact on my life and um, on our family's lives is that we would go and vote together as a family. It was hmm. it was like an outing. Um, you know, everyone would gather over my grandmother's house and we would go to Jones School to vote. Now, remember, this is when I was a child and I couldn't vote, but everyone went to experience um, voting, even if you you weren't of age yet. You know, it was almost like a rite of passage. So the younger um, uh, uh, group of us, we couldn't wait until it was our time to vote because it was held um, so um, special in in our family's life. And so my grandmother led the charge. So she would be the first in line when it was time to go vote. Wow, we need your grandmother more and more these days. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, she, like the rest of these amazing women, held the community together during Mm -hmm. turbulent times. Did she ever talk to you about why that was so important to her? Yeah, you know, I remember a story. um, And of course, I wasn't born yet, but it was when Martin Luther King died. When he was assassinated um, in 1968, um, my grandmother sat in the living room and cried. Um, and, and as the children were coming home from school and, you know, everyone was getting home, that was a story that, I, that I've heard several times growing up because it was such a pivotal moment, not just for our family and, you know, the Black community, but it was a pivotal moment in this country. And so th- to hear the personal experience of what that was like um, in our home, you know, in, in, in our um, matriarchs home is something that um, uh, also had an impact on me and and the work that I do um, today and how important it is to um, care for our leaders, our local leaders, um, our civil rights leaders. That's why, you know, to have the five women on the murals, um, you know, really memorializing them and what they've done is so pivotal today because everyone is coming Um, from a different perspective, Um, each woman, each family, um, but we are held together by the struggles of our community. And then also, you know, the descendants are still here and we're still keeping their legacies alive. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. I'm talking with some of the descendants of five matriarchs of North Nashville who are pillars of their community. Marguerite, I want to ask you, what was the neighborhood like when you were growing up? When I was growing up, the neighborhood that we lived in, and it was from like 14th Avenue over to Arthur, 
uh, it was really a all black. And as I said, we cared for one another. Uh, and the neighbors, as I said, my mom and her neighbors, neighborhood watch before there was a neighborhood watch. And we didn't have to worry about people breaking in. Uh, for for one thing, most of them probably would have known that mama would have been able to recognize them <laughs> if they were young. If uh-huh. they were young. Mm-hmm. So they just didn't do it. It was a very... Uh, to me, it was nice. I, I was listening to the other ladies, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, we didn't go through any of that. But I went to all-black school. I didn't uh, get a chance to get in, and neither did my kids get a chance to get in on the integration. But I do remember when summer came for my sister and I, they had this thing with uh, Metro schools where they gave you, um, I forget, forget what it was called, youth something, and you got a chance to work during the summer. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they put us over at North High School, which was all white. Mm-hmm. And we cleaned and straightened up. And I recognized that their books did not look like our books. Mm-hmm. They had better books mm-hmm. than we did. We got the torn up books, the books that had been marked in. And now if I was a discrepancy, I love education. My mother and father did too in fact the lady across the street when I graduated from high school Miss Everett they got together and gave me my first little uh, scholarship to TSU but I remember coming up during those summers we were cleaning the white schools and mm. their books were in much, they got the new books mm-hmm. True. Barbara Watson True. and Lethea Carter are still with us the daughters of Mary Louise Watson so what do you two remember about the neighborhood our neighborhood was mixed true we had white, we had black, and it looked like some Indians on down there, but <laughs> toward the bottom, what we called the bottom. Right. But anyway, uh, our neighborhood was mixed. So I had white friends uh, that I played with and everything um, before I even went to, to the neighborhood school that was going to be integrated. And um, after the first year, I walked with them mm-hmm. to school. And everything, but our neighborhood was mixed, and it was a community of watchfulness, yes, love, and mm-hmm. protectiveness. Mm-hmm. Everybody protected the neighborhood, mm-hmm. white, black, or indifferent. Uh, that's funny because here you have this neighborhood that's very diverse, mm-hmm. and it, apparently it seemed to have this love. Yet everything else in society is telling you. That can't that can. exist. Yeah. And, yeah. Your, and your mm-hmm. children at the time when you see this, so you see the falsehood in that. Lethia, tell me, like, how did that kind of shape and frame your outlook as you grew older? Well, I went to um, all-black school. I went to Pearl High School. And after my sister started first grade and everything, we did see what they now call white flight, where the neighbors started moving out Mm. uh, once the school was integrated. Mm. Um, All the kids in the neighborhood used to play in our backyard. White, black, it didn't matter. We just played as kids. Once she started the school, they couldn't come to our house anymore and play in our yard. Mm -hmm. Just two doors from our house was a white neighbor. Previously, Their daughter was a majorette at North High School. We cheered her on because she used to play in our backyard. Um, But once the school was integrated or desegregation of schools started, Mm 
she couldn't come to our backyard and play. We would still speak from a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, it was 25 years after the desegregation of schools, and they had uh, an event to recognize all of the participants. Really, that was the first, I think, that Nashville did a big spread in the newspaper marking that 25th year. They were, we were at the World um, Baptist Center. World Baptist Center or the Baptist, Baptist um, Seminary, American Baptist American Sem- Baptist, yeah. Okay. So they had all these people, and some of them I recognized, they were much older because we were kids then, um, and they would tell their experience. My mother stood up, which was out of character because she wasn't one to always say, I'm going to do this. And she started telling us that when we were receiving the phone calls, that one day she answered the phone and she recognized the voice. Mm -hmm. And that voice was of a neighbor that lived two doors down from us. Oh. She never told my father. That was the first time my sister and I heard that. And she said, I couldn't tell my husband because I knew if I told him, he would probably go kill him. Mm. So, you know, at another time, I asked, I said, Mom, all these years you knew that and you never told us that you recognized the voice of, you know, the people that were making threats. And she said, no. She said, I held it to myself. So my mother's faith brought, because my father passed, and so it was just my mom and us five kids. My mother's faith pushed forward through uh, to see the end. That neighbor's wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer. My mother went to his front door and offered her services to help mm. him with his ailing wife mm. to sit with her, uh, wash her clothes. Mm-hmm. Clean I, her house. Clean her house. Yeah. I, I don't know what kind of person could do that knowing that someone had made that kind of threat against her own child Mm -hmm. but that's who my mother was and when they interviewed us immediately after my mother passed um, one of the things I said was that my mother was not an angel but she was pretty darn close. <laughs> yes, she was. Mm-hmm. Yes, she was. Now, yeah. Alicia, what type of changes have you seen in the neighborhood since back then? Wow, you know, it is, it's is—it's amazing to hear these stories firsthand and to really, you know, um, hear them being retold um, because our families, um, you know, living in the same neighborhood, um, you, you hear these things, but... You know, going from then until to now, I just remember, you know, we would we would drive down the street, um, you know, Buchanan. And I would remember seeing people that we recognized or we would wave. It wasn't 
um, foreign to to walk the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, no, you could you know walk to the store, you would walk to school, you would you know you would you would really walk. And so um, a lot of that has changed because we've lost a lot of people, and not just because of age or you know I mean our, our matriarchs they've gone on and people have gotten older, but a lot of our community members are being displaced mm-hmm. um, because of gentrification. I remember hearing the stories um, about white flight, right? And and when the neighborhood was um, very diverse and 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 how everybody interacted with each other, and then that changed, and and then there was white flight. But now something else is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, now the community um, has been gentrified, and and neighbors are being pushed out mm-hmm. because of affordability mm-hmm. in a community that was, um, um, you know, um, very vibrant and rich in culture and it still is but we also know that it was um devalued um in in some people's opinion right Mm -hmm. and 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 it was treated as such it was um under resourced um uh reverend smithson talked about you know um their school's books compared to when north high Mm -hmm. um was an all-white school right Mm -hmm. and so and that's where my mother and my aunts um, Mm -hmm. graduated and so um it, it it looks like um, it's time now to um, uh, rally together again, right? And and or continue to because I don't think we have stopped doing the work no. um, that our four parents started. Like none of this has stopped. Um, it, it seems like we just have to press on the gas because um, we're trying to keep people in. Yeah. You know, people wonder. You know, what is good about black families? What are the <laughs> assets of black communities? And it's the people. Yes. Right. It's the people that make up North Nashville, the people that make up communities that um, these women gathered their strength in and led um, in the face of fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, if we get to see that more, you know, I think our community would be better off. I want to thank you all for coming on to the show and sharing (laughs) your ancestors legacies with us. And thank you for just telling us these stories. Thanks to Barbara Watson, Lethia Carter, Reverend Marguerite Smithson, and Alicia Haddock. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, the summer is nigh. That means it's time to fire up those grills. Tomorrow, we're talking all things meat from farm to table. I'm hungry. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Tasha A. of Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Simone Boyd. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>